Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 800. Hooray! With Dr. Heidi Grant. When possible, I like to put special guests on 100th episode increments. And Dr. Heidi Grant is special to me because she was on my list of podcast guests I wanted to book before I even had a podcast. And so it took a little bit of time, but 800 episodes later, here we are, and I am stoked. Heidi's got some pro tips on how to ask for and get the help you need. If that's something you fear or you struggle with, she has got the goods and a deep research base to provide those goods. So you'll learn one, why asking for help is beneficial for everyone involved. Two, the do's and don'ts of asking for help. And three, the telltale sign that you need to ask for help. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to some of the resources that we mentioned here, you can pay us a visit at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP800. So you can get those resources right there, awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP800. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, check out some goodies like the Gold Nugget email summary, which gives you a quick write-up of the actionable wisdom that Heidi shared, as well as unlocking the vault of now 800 of these summary write-ups. We call those the gold nuggets, available at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Heidi's story. Dr. Heidi Grant is a leadership, influence, and motivation expert who's ranked among the top management thinkers globally. Her books include Nine Things Successful People Do Differently and Reinforcements, How to Get People to Help You. She's a frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review and CBS Mornings, and her TED Talk has been viewed more than three million times. Big thanks to Heidi for sharing her wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Heidi. Heidi, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm really excited to dig into your wisdom. And first, I want to hear a little bit about you and science fiction. Oh, I'm a huge science fiction nerd. It's my favorite thing on the planet. I mean, science fiction and fantasy. Like, I, I'm one of those people that refuses to, uh, to pick sides in the whole Star mm-hmm. Wars, Star Trek debate. Because they're both amazing. So, like, it's like choosing between children. You just can't do it. And also Lord of the Rings. I mean, I I think I remember I had a boyfriend in college who gave me a birthday card that was actually written in Elvish runes. Ah. He probably lasted longer than he would have normally. (laughs) That was such a cool. So, yeah, big science fiction nerd, big comic book 
nerd as well, Marvel, DC, all of those things. Those are the things that are sort of my brain candy where, you know, I do a lot of hard thinking during the day and then I, I relax by, you know, watching people in spaceships do cool yeah. things <laughs> and meet aliens. That's very relaxing to me. Well, that's good. That's mm-hmm. good. Well, it's funny. We're talking about your book, Reinforcements, How to Get mm-hmm. People to Help You. Right. And I am, I'm thinking about right now, I read a book. This is my nerdiness. <laughs> I read a book in college entitled Make It So Leadership Lessons from Star Trek. Oh, the that's Next Generation. Amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> and I think Captain Picard was great Absolutely. at getting people to help him. <laughs> Jean-Luc, Jean-Luc had so much to say. Absolutely. And he was a, he was a fantastic mediator as well. So he could help, you know, two sides both kind of come together over an issue. Um, very wise man. I'm sure, I'm sure that was an excellent book, actually. Well, I mean, I really did enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, let's, let's talk about how one gets people to help you. Any particularly surprising and fascinating discoveries you made as you did your research here? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you have to start from, and I wrote the book. This was not a book I wrote because this was something I was so good at. In fact, the opposite is true. There's a running joke among psychologists that all psychology is me psychology because we like most researchers are either interested in things they are very good at or things they are very bad at. Mm-hmm. And this was one of those cases where I was interested in this topic because it's not something to this day. Even I struggle with feeling comfortable asking other people to to help me. Um, you know, I thought, you know, and I couched it in all these positive terms, you know, I'm very independent, very Mm self-reliant. And that's what we say to ourselves when really what it is, is like, I'm very deeply uncomfortable making myself vulnerable in that way. And so I wanted to kind of understand it. And I had colleagues who were doing research at Columbia that were, that were kind of digging into sort of the first piece of the puzzle, which is trying to understand why it is that we're so uncomfortable with asking for help and why it is that we're so wrong about the chances of, of actually getting help. There, uh, a colleague of mine, uh, Vanessa Bonds, did a, a ton of research that was really interesting. She'd bring people into the lab and she'd ask them to go out and they would be paid to do this, right? They'd be tasked with going and asking strangers for various forms of help and asking them if you could use their, their cell phone, if they would uh, fill out a survey for you. There was one where she had people go into the Columbia Library and ask uh, people who were in the library if they would uh, write the word pickle on the inside of a library book. So, so the requests were odd and everyone hated it, right? The minute when they found out what the study was about, they were just absolutely filled with dread because it's, again, like very human to be very uncomfortable with the idea of asking people for help, particularly strangers. And she would ask them, what are the odds you think people will help you? What percentage of people will say yes? Or how many people will you have to ask before someone says yes, right? They would go to like Penn Station or Grand Central. They would go to these like very public places and just walk up to strangers and ask for help. And what she found was that, first of all, they were filled with dread. And then they were they would wildly underestimate the odds of actually getting help that typically by a factor of like roughly 50%. So people are at least twice as likely mm-hmm. to say yes than, and then we realize. Okay. And what was so interesting about this was, so they would go out and they would say, well, nobody's going to say yes to this. And in fact, a whole bunch of people said yes and were very helpful. And they would come, so they would leave the lab full of dread that this was the thing they had to do. But then they would come back 
filled with this like warm glow of just how wonderful people turned out to be, right? Everyone had this experience of thinking like, well, human beings are a lot better than I thought they were. And and so this is sort of one of these fundamental truths that that one of the big obstacles we have to asking for help is that we tend to think we're we're much more likely to get a rejection than we actually are. And of course, very few people willingly walk into a situation where they think the odds of 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 rejection are high. So part of the, you know, the beginning of the book is just sort of unpacking, like, actually, human beings are kind of wired to be helpful. It is our natural state. It's one of the things all humans find most rewarding, or at least most humans who aren't sociopaths, which is most of us, they find most rewarding. And it is one of the strongest sources of self-esteem and well-being and life satisfaction to feel like you are doing things that have a positive impact on other people. So people actually love to say yes. They love to help one another. And even though we each know this about ourselves, that we all like helping other people, somehow when it comes to other people, we think, well, they don't though, and they're going to probably reject me. So so part of it is, is, is just kind of understanding that we're often approaching asking for help with the idea that we're not going to get it. And and that it turns out to largely not be the case. Okay. Well, that, that's super helpful. <laughs> and yet you say that here, here you've written the book on the subject and, and you yeah. still feel discomfort. So knowing that sure. is, is great. Like, okay, cool. Right. I, I have some logical, rational mm-hmm. prefrontal cortex reassurance and reasons that it's all good to ask for help and people actually enjoy helping. Yes. And yet I still feel uncomfortable. And it sounds like that, that could take a while to master, but do you have any pro tips on on how we can nudge it a little bit more there? Yeah. Sure. I think like anything else, practice makes perfect. And so and certainly practice makes comfortable, right? Like the more we do a thing and we realize we didn't die, everything worked out okay. The world didn't like open up and swallow us, then we get a little bit more comfortable with it. I think it also helps to actually have be armed with a few strategies that increase your chances of success. One of the things I, I talk about in the book is, and I mean this in a very helpful way, is that if you aren't getting the help and support that you need in your life, odds are good it's kind of your fault, right? And it's, it's, uh, and it's not something people want to hear, right? That like we, we build, you know, each of us sort of runs around thinking, you know, like we're not getting, very few of us actually feel, I think that we're getting the support and help that we could, we could certainly benefit from. And, and a lot of times we sort of have these stories in our heads about how that's not, you know, like, oh, it's so terrible, right? That I'm not getting the support and other people should be giving it to me. So one of the other things I talk about in the book is what a potential helper needs in order to help you. And that very often we don't give them those things. So that's why they don't help us, right? Like, so it's not that people get lots of help. It's that, but when they don't get it there, it's because there's something they're not doing mm-hmm. or something they're doing that's actually kind of counterproductive. So in terms of the things you you need to do, we can kind of start there. What do you need to do in order to actually get help? Your helper, right? Kind of needs four things I talk about in the book. So the first is to actually know that you need help. This is already foundationally one of the biggest problems. And one of the reasons why we don't each of us get the help either personally or professionally that we need. We feel like that our need for support is obvious to other people, right? The psychologists call this particular bias the illusion of transparency. We feel like our thoughts and our feelings and our intentions and our needs are very obvious to other people because they're obvious to us, right? So clearly you must know that I need help 
especially true, of course, with the people that we're around the most, right? So the, with our closest co-workers, with our, our partners, with our family, our closest friends, we think they, they know, right? Like, I need help and you can tell. The fact is there's tons of research that shows that nothing could be further from the truth. Even the people that know us well and are around us every day often actually just simply do not see that we are in need of help because each of us, ourselves very much included, is mostly focused on our own needs, right? And, and so we, we do not see everything there is to see. And it's very easy to miss the fact that somebody actually could use your hand with something. Like it's really easy to skip that. So the first thing, and, and we don't say anything and we say things to ourselves like, well, you should, you, you know, it should be obvious to you, right? <laughs> you know, it should go without saying that I need your help, your help with that. No, so, uh, by the way, one of the expressions as a person who studies communication and sort of social interaction for a living, I will tell you the most annoying phrase in the world is it goes without saying, because nothing goes without saying. Everything goes with saying. All right. Like everything, everything <laughs> all the time goes with saying. So I think the first piece is actually we have to say it. And and nobody likes hearing that because we, we won't want to live in a universe where our needs are obvious to other people. So we don't have to, again, make ourselves vulnerable by actually saying them out loud. But the very first step to getting help is actually asking for it, which which actually okay. solves the second problem as well, which is that even if someone happens to see that you need help, they don't actually know that you want it. And if you have ever mm -hmm. tried to give help to someone who didn't want your help, like I have teenagers, and I see that they're struggling with something and I offer unsolicited help to them and it does not always go well. And so, again, that need to ask for it so that people know that you need it and want it is just an unavoidable fact of the universe of support. We have to ask for help if we want it. What's really, really true for me here is is I've learned, you know, it's like so I'm a I have a background in strategy consulting and, and coaching. Mm -hmm. And so. I see all the time. It's like, oh, you're engaging productors in, in behaviors that are counterproductive to right. your stated goals. It's like, but if I tell you about it, you're probably going to bite my head off. So right. I'm just going to hang back. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I've just sort of made peace with it. And at first it really bothered me. It's like, oh, am I being selfish? Is this wrong? No. And then, <laughs> but it's like, they didn't ask. And actually when people do ask, I'm delighted. It's the best, right? And I've had some really cool experiences with folks that have, you know, had good mentoring going on with them because I, they they asked, I was like, I'm so glad you asked why I rejected you in an interview. Right? I have much to tell you. And they said, oh, wow, thanks. That's really awesome. Thank <laughs> and then away they went. It's a wonderful gift when you actually ask for help because very often people, even like I said, they see the need, like you could use some support. But the but it's a, a terrible situation to be in to feel like that may not be welcome. And in fact, and people generally like it is counterproductive, in fact, to give people help they didn't ask for. Yeah. Uh, nine times out of 10. <laughs> so so it's a very real and legitimate concern, which means we do have to get past this this reluctance to ask for it. And the, the, the other couple of things are it's good to, to bear in mind are that people need to know. So they need to know you need help. They need to know you want it. They need to know that they specifically are the person you're asking for help from. I cannot tell you how many times I see these like blanket emails go out to 20 people 
uh, or like BCC, which isn't fooling anybody. We know there's a ton of people on that email Mm -hmm. saying like, hey, could someone help me with this? And there's a there's a phenomenon psychologists call diffusion of responsibility. Right. It's it's the reason why on an airplane, the flight attendant will say, is there a doctor on board? Because if you don't say that, then there may be doctors on board, but they won't realize like they should do something. Mm -hmm. Right. So so it's that idea that you have to kind of say, you know, I always say to people, don't send an email to 20 people, send 20 emails to one per each one to one, because then that person realizes, oh, you're talking specifically to me. Because what happens with the 20-person email is it's, you, we all sort of sit there and we go, well, somebody else probably responded already. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of let it float down in our inbox. So so it's, it makes sure they know that they are themselves the person you're asking for help. And then the last thing, which again is something that's wildly overlooked when we ask in this realm of support seeking, is you want to make sure the person feels like they can give you effective help. Nobody wants to give bad help. Right. Nobody Mm -hmm. wants to be asked to do a thing and then fail at delivering on it. The amount of of like guilt and shame you would feel is sort of staggering. And so one of the things I've noticed that people often do, a mistake we make when we ask for help, is that we don't enable the person to actually be effective. I I can't tell you how many requests I get to just like connect, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like on LinkedIn or on email, you'll get something and she's like, hey, you know, would love to just connect. And it's like, okay. You want something, right? I mm-hmm. mean, like, like very few, very few of us actually just want to connect, right? There's, a, there's <laughs> something we're hoping to achieve with a total stranger, right? Like we're hoping to achieve a thing. Connection's a human need, but yeah, mm-hmm. like we're hoping to learn something, or we're hoping to ha- get an introduction to something, or get access to a resource. There's, there's always an agenda with human beings. Like we always have a some goal. And when you don't tell me what it is, my discomfort immediately is, am I going to get into this conversation with you? And then in the conversation, you're going to ask me for help that I can't give, right? Like for whatever reason. And I'm so uncomfortable, and I do this, I'm so uncomfortable with the idea that you might ask me for help that I can't give, that I, I don't do the connecting. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I, I don't want to be put in that position. Right. Where somebody asks me for something and it's like I'm the wrong person. Right. so but I do say yes when people kind of reach out to me and they say, hi, I want to connect because. Right. Because I'd like to learn X, because I'd like to know why, because I know that, you know, this person and I'm hoping you'll make an introduction. OK, now I know what you want. So now I know whether or not I can be effective in giving you the help you're seeking. So now I have a lot more confidence. People often shy away from giving support because they think they might fail. And so we we should be always be thoughtful about being very explicit and helping the person understand how they can help us so that they have confidence going into it that it's something they're actually going to be able to do. That's powerful stuff. And I, maybe you're kinder than I am, Heidi. <laughs> Probably not. I guess I'm assuming if someone asks to connect with no context... We had a great conversation with Renee Rodriguez about stories and frames and how Mm -hmm. we just need them. And if there's not one provided, we just invent one. I'm so guilty of this. Oh, and it's almost always negative. Yeah. And I invent the frame is like, you want to sell me something. Mm -hmm. It's unclear what that is because I I have been grateful. I've been cold approached on several occasions, bought the thing and was delighted I bought the thing, was delighted I've, I've had the cold yeah. approach. But I also know statistically 
less than a 1% chance right. the cold approach to sell me a thing is the thing I happen to want to buy in that moment. So Absolutely. I, I just assume you want to sell me a thing and that's very likely I don't want it. Therefore, I'm not interested in, in connecting. So oh, I just invented yeah. that frame. It may or may not be accurate, but if they told me you're right, something like, hey, here's a thing that I'd like your help with. I have... I've really gone into great detail talking to a total stranger. Oh, you want to start a podcast? Let me send you a huge email about how to do that. Right. And it was like, I don't know you. <laughs> and this just felt good. I, I thought you had a cool idea. Exactly. And I'd like to see it in the world. And if I could help a little bit, that feels awesome. It does feel awesome. And I think that's the, that is exactly the thing that a lot of times we shy away from being specific for all the wrong reasons, right? We sort of feel like, oh, well, ease the person into the request. And it's like, no, 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 you're actually just scaring them away from even having the conversation with you. And, and or, or, we, or people will say like, well, it feels a little aggressive to just come out with what it is that I'm looking for. And it's like, no, you're creating clarity and certainty for people, which they really, people like. Human beings like certainty. We like to know what we're getting ourselves into. And, and like I said, there's almost always an agenda. I mean, people aren't just looking to make new friends generally, right? I mean, they, they are, there, there's something they're seeking. And, and so I think it's a really, it's a super common mistake. I, I, I categorize this in the sort of, I call these the, you made it weird things, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, I would have helped you, but you made it weird. Right. I would have helped you, but you were weirdly reticent to tell me what it was that you wanted help with. And so that was off putting for me. And certain kinds of rejection are quite painful. Like if someone says, oh, you know, I wanted to connect with you because I wanted a job on your team. And it's like, but I'm not hiring. So like, I'm. this is just, this is just going to be painful for everybody, right? Involved. So it's really, really good to be upfront and to create that clarity for people so they can be comfortable or they can do, you know, something if they can't help you, maybe they can tell, like, I love it when people actually tell me what they're looking for, because sometimes I can't help them, but I know someone who can, right? And so I can kind of redirect you to the person who can actually help you, which also feels good. And so, you know, that's one of those, you made it weirds, right? Not kind of coming out with it, what it is that you're seeking. Another you made it weird that is this absolutely tragic is when people apologize constantly when asking for help, because it sort of ruins it, right? So there's the Hmm, yeah. Giving help is very satisfying and innately satisfying to do things that benefit other people. But there's a lot of research that shows that you can kind of spoil it by either kind of making people feel coerced, right? So making people feel like they didn't have a choice but to help you, that's usually never a good thing. Yes. And then the other thing is by constantly apologizing. Because if you think about it, and, you know, people ask you for help and they say things like, Oh, I hate that I have to ask you for this. I feel so terrible. I'm just so embarrassed that I have to ask you for this support. And it's okay. How am I supposed to enjoy this now? Yeah, it's true. Like if you hate having to ask me. You hate this and you're embarrassed. This is real fun for me. Like you feel terrible, but I'm supposed to feel good, right? So a lot of times that's another you made it weird where we we're apologizing because we don't want the person to think badly of us, but what all we're really doing is ruining it for them. Because they never thought badly about you in the first place. Again, a common misconception that people will think less of you because you need support. Actually, if anything, the research suggests that people think more highly of people who are willing to ask for help and support because they feel like that's a sign of, you know, of confidence, right? Like people are willing to be vulnerable in that way. Like we admire people who are authentic and vulnerable and say like, yeah, I'm not perfect. I could actually use or or maybe I just have too much on my plate and I need your support. We admire people who do that. So we tend to actually think 
more highly of them, but we're so convinced that people will think less of us that we get into this weird apology game. And and all of that is just based on a really, honestly, foundationally, a failure of perspective taking. We do a very, very bad job at imagining what the situation is like from the helper's perspective. And if we could just pause and, but it's weird because we are all helpers. So if you just took a minute to say, how would I feel? right? Being asked for this help. How would I feel about it? What would I think of this person? Then you have a pretty good gauge of what they think of you. And it's pretty positive, actually. But we just we just don't do that perspective taking. And so we make it weird, like over and over again. Yeah. Well, you make it weird. I'm also thinking about just that that theme associated with destroying the opportunity for joy in in yeah. that helping exchange it's like robbing them it is of that joy and i'm reminded of but i was in prague <laughs> we were at a bar <laughs> and i had purchased a, a beer and i was ready to give a, a leave the change type tip to the bartender and so she took the coin and she extended it her hand toward me and then brought it back almost like a like a fishing reel and said for me to keep <laughs> and and I was like well I was planning on doing that but now right when you did this I don't feel as great about doing it but I'm not yes. going to say no no not for you to right. keep I was like it's like okay sure whereas before I would have felt great so like oh hey and that's yours. And she so you could say, thank you. And that we would have had a fun little moment. So here's, this is one of those things. So there are techniques and people will always say like, are there things you can do to get people to help you? Like forced compliance. And mm-hmm. yes, there are, frankly. There's all kinds of tricks you can use that make people more likely to say yes, that are also more likely to make them feel coerced, right? They make them yeah. feel like they didn't have a choice. So what happens is they will say yes in that moment and then the other thing that happens is they will never say yes again, right? <laughs> so it's interesting in the in the case, right, of the bartender. Did she get the tip? Yes, she did. Yeah. But she might have gotten another one. Oh, sure. Right, like like later on, right? Like if you were like, oh, I really love this bartender, and I'm here, and I'm having another drink, and like so, helping and support can be delightfully builds on itself, right, and and be reciprocal, or it can just happen the one time, and then that person just is done with you right? Because you made them feel coerced. So that's another thing that's a really common mistake we made. If the one time is all that matters, fine. But if you really want to have an ongoing uh, relationship that has mutual ongoing support in it, you really do want to use the techniques that I'm talking about, which are the ones that make people feel really glad that they helped you, very satisfied, very effective, giving that help that really lands. When they can imagine, this is another thing. I, honestly, if someone helps you, one of the most pot, the most impactful things you can do is go back and tell them about the impact they had. Mm-hmm. Not as a gratitude per se, although gratitude is lovely, but again, related to that effectiveness idea, right? Like the the help you gave me had these results. Because if you do that, right? If you go back and you help people to understand the impact that their help had, that is a well that you can turn to again and again, because that person will love helping you in the future because you made them feel very, very effective. And as a helper, right? You, you really ramped up that warm glow. 
And I think that's a mistake we often make. I was a college professor for years. I wrote tons of letters of recommendation to medical school, graduate school, law school. Mm -hmm. Probably 5% of those students actually came back to tell me whether or not they actually got into the program. And for me, that was the moment that was very rewarding, like knowing that I had helped them to actually achieve the goal. But too often, people don't circle back and you're really missing an opportunity to create like a very, an ongoing supportive relationship with someone when you don't do that. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Well, so then we, we've got some great principles in mind and mm-hmm. some key don'ts as well. I'd, I'd love it if you could give us a demonstration or share any favorite phrases so we can make this come to life with actual verbiage. The truth is that they're not really magical words okay. to use about this because it really is just about candor. That It's that sort of taking a deep breath and saying, okay, I'm going to just be honest. This is the help that I need. I need it from you. This specifically is the thing that I'm looking for. And this is the reason why, right? Like this is the impact it's going to have on my life if you do this, right? This is the impact it's going to have, you know, and it can be as simple as, you know, coming home to your partner and saying, I know that I'm usually the one that handles uh, the recycling, but I would really like it if you would chip in and maybe we could take turns because that would give me one less thing to do, right? And that would make me feel a little bit more supported at home. Okay, great. Like it's very specific, right? If you come up to your partner and you say, I'd love you to do more around the house, don't expect anything to happen, right? First of all, if you say nothing, I promise you nothing will happen, right? If you say nothing and you just passive aggressively sigh a lot. She should know. Right, exactly. She should know. (laughs) Yeah, your partner is not going to pick up on that. If you do the only slightly better thing, which is I need your help around the house, that's probably not going to work either. Because, again, what specifically do you need, right? The more specific we are about exactly what it is we want the person to do, both the more effective they feel doing it and and the more likely they are to actually do it, right? Because, again, it's that illusion of transparency. If I say I need more help from you around the house and you fold some towels, you might feel like I have achieved what she wanted, right? (laughs) And it's like I kind of was looking for something more than that, right? (laughs) Health, exactly. I feel so satisfied. So it is that asking explicitly, being very, very clear about what it is you're looking for. And then, by the way, when they do the thing, coming back and saying, like, wow, that really made a difference. Like, I really thank you so much for making that effort. It's made a huge difference in how I feel coming home. I feel so much more supported, et cetera. So it's it's just that simple, right? And it's really not complicated. But we avoid it so much and we tell ourselves so many things that aren't true, I think 90% of the obstacle is getting the myths out of the way, right? That people are going to say no, that they somehow intuitively know what it is we need them to do, that they know the impact they've had. Once you realize none of those things are true, then you really do know what to do differently. And I will say that I am, to the extent that I don't ask for help, it isn't because I feel uncomfortable anymore. It's more that I just sometimes forget to. You can get so used to operating as independent, quote unquote, I'm air quoting right now. You can get so used to not asking for help that even when you've gotten comfortable with the idea of it, the challenge becomes breaking that habit of just doing everything on your own. And so I find nowadays for me, I have very little problem asking for help, but I do find myself sometimes 
full speeding ahead on things and trying to do too much myself. And it's just more that I didn't recognize the moment where I should have asked for help. I should have stopped and said, hey, this is too much. I could use some help from somebody else. So that's another piece of it. I'm realizing as a person who's trying to change my habits about this, that it is a habit to not ask for help. And that therefore, like any habit, there it can be it can be difficult to replace it with a better one and build that new muscle. So that's something that since I've written the book, I'm in the process of doing sort of rewiring my habits a little bit so that before I am overwhelmed and exhausted, I ask for help instead of after I'm overwhelmed and exhausted, which used to be my cue to ask for help. So being a little more proactive about that is part of what I'm currently working on. Oh, well, that's great. Thank you. Well, now I'd love to hear about some of your favorite things. Favorite book? Oh, a favorite book. Probably the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Okay. I've read it a million times. And a favorite tool, something you used to be awesome at your job? I am still a post-it person. My desk right now is littered in post-it notes, which I know is really old school. And I know that there's apps that could do this for me and also all kinds of programs, but I really love the tangible nature of a post-it. And I really love how satisfying it is to cross things off a post-it and then throw it away. I mean, that's the problem with like files on a computer. You just can't have that like, I am done with you moment where you toss it because you you actually completed the task that was on the post-it. So I do love, I love my post-it notes very much. Mm -hmm. All right. And is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you often. Talking about uh, growth mindset, right? And this idea that the background narrative that you have, right, when you approach a task really changes how you approach it, right? So growth mindset basically is saying the point of what I'm doing is to develop, is to improve. And fixed mindset is really the point of what I'm doing is to prove myself, right? To prove that I'm already good at this thing. And how I orient myself, so when I catch myself in sort of a fixed mindset, right, I'm approaching something as if the point is to prove myself and I want to shift into growth mindset. The thing I say to myself, everybody has a thing they say, the thing I say is uh, it's not about being good, it's about getting better. Mm-hmm. And that's my little mantra that I shift like, after 20 years of doing this stuff, occasionally still catch myself in a mindset I don't want to be in and to shift back. I say, it's not about being good, it's about getting better. And that has been one that people have repeated back to me, or I see it tweeted a lot when I'm giving a talk on growth mindset, that it is sort of just encapsulate. I think one of the most powerful things you can do for yourself motivationally is remember that in every particular moment that you're in, it can be an opportunity to judge yourself, or it can be an opportunity to develop yourself. And the more we can see what we do as opportunities to develop ourselves, the more resilient, creative, and high-performing we are. All right. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Well, first, I would point them to my website. So it's HeidiGrantPhD.com, where there's a ton of there's a ton of stuff, videos, articles that I've written, the links to them. I write a lot for HBR, so you can also find uh, a lot of my blog posts there on various topics. But HeidiGrantPhD.com is a great place to start. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I think that idea that going into your job every day, looking for those opportunities to end up better at something than you were before, the more you can do that, right? And, and often we don't think of our jobs that way. We think of our jobs as places where I'm constantly proving myself. What we don't realize is that's a lot of it's in your head that particular attitude. I try every day to look for ways, even in the tedious aspects of my job, that I feel like I can be better at something today 
than I was the day before. And the more we do that, the more it engages us, it sustains us, it makes us creative, it makes us feel effective, and it helps us to grow. All right, Heidi, thank you. This is great stuff. I wish you much luck and much help coming your way. Thank you so much, Pete. I love Heidi's tip on sharing afterwards the impact that their help has had on you. Very easy to forget this because when you need help, it feels urgent. (laughs) And when the thing worked out fine, it's a relief and not so urgent. But that's, I think, is the ideal cue. It's like, oh, sweet, this worked out great. I am feeling gratitude for how it worked out and how it could have very much gone the other way. Let that serve as the reminder prompt to say, oh, and I should let my helpers know how their help was impactful. That just feels really good on the giving end, on the receiving end, and builds that relationship all the further to improve the odds that you can get the help you need from that person, or they'll be all the more willing to point you to other people because they know, oh, you're a good recipient of help. And I like helping such people. Great stuff from Heidi. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to the items that we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP800. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. (laughs) Auto Trader.